I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's phenomenal episode, I got to have someone I am highly grateful to call a friend, Mr. Jamie Wheel. Jamie is a world-leading expert expert on the neurophysiology of human performance. Um, he's executive director of Flow Genome Project, which I am lucky enough to be teaching a movement workshop at uh, in Boulder, Colorado, August 16th and 19th. Highly recommend guys checking that out, guys and girls. And it's all about flow states. So they have all these amazing contraptions shed up, shed up, set up to uh, access various different whatever, you know the flow state, the thing where you're in the zone, when you're skiing down a hill or when you're focused on a project, what have you, uh, getting into the neurochemistry, the neurophysiology of what the hell that is. Uh, the book Stealing Fire, which was written by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Collar, who's been on here a couple times, highly recommend checking that out. It gets deep into these ecstatic states that humans experience and the value thereof. And that is kind of sort of what this conversation is. We go in all sorts of different directions. Thank you so much for tuning into the website aligntherapy.com a-l-i-g-n therapy.com if you are drawn to that little mofo of a website you can start the five-day movement challenge on there it's on the front, very front page align therapy um, you will learn the fundamentals that everybody needs to have in order to move well in your day-to-day life everything from hinging at your hips stacking your spine up organizing your feet important stuff also how to reorganize your world a bit uh, really important stuff hope you guys enjoy that also you find show notes for this rest of the episodes uh thank you guys so much for reviews on itunes if we read your review on itunes we will send you out a box of something from organifi i hope you guys actually enjoy that all right review that we got no fluff here period sj hurley 44 five stars thanks so much sj hurley hit us up at a line band on instagram and we will send you out some crap from organifi it's delicious uh there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there especially when it comes to health wellness space uh aaron brings an authentic incredibly likable personality about giving not only physical stretches and hacks, but philosophical concepts that are easy to implement, right? Meow. Thanks so much for that, SJ. Hit us up at Band on the Instagram. We'll send you out some stuff. It's going to make you more vibrant, vital human being. Um, all right, I think that we're good. We're going to start this little mofo. Uh, come and visit us in Boulder, Colorado. Flow Genome Project is going to be dope. I hope you love this conversation. Uh, I hope you are digging. Folks that are grabbing, we got a, like a surge of people buying the Align Band recently. So if you guys grab that on Amazon, a website, whatever, greatly appreciate it. It's a resistance band with door anchor, blah, 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 blah. Enjoy the conversation. Boom. Align podcast. So apparently there's these giants that we've found that are like, I think like Reno, they found a bunch throughout Europe. They're these seven to around about like nine foot humans, hominid skeletons. Apparently it's a real thing. Huh. Yeah. Look into it. So, so look up, I think like red giants, redheaded giants, something like that. Uh And so there's these, all these tales throughout like native American history or American Indian history, however you want to call Uh it, uh, of these redheaded giants, like Uh hunting and being cannibal cannibals and kind of like attacking their tribes. Huh. You never heard about that? I haven't heard about it. God dang. But but, but it's interesting. (laughs) No, because, because like part of, um, 
one one of the thoughts I was super curious about with that uh, with that history of human land use was like when the Irish and Scottish miners came to Colorado and, and to the other places, they had those stories of the Tommyknockers, right? Stephen King wrote that horror story about them, but the Tommyknockers were basically these sprites and, and sort of malevolent or mischievous entities that they would sometimes encounter in the mines. And so I became fascinated by, and then you know, actually another Stephen King connection, that, that story, It, that he wrote, right, that became a new movie recently. Yeah. The thing that intrigued me the most about that entire story was the idea that the malevolent entity that became the, the scary clown was actually present in the prehistoric time when New Jersey was a tropical forest being covered by dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs were super crazy violent. There was something gnarly specific to that place, hmm. right? And it took on different forms and expressions over the ages. And so hearing about the Tommyknockers and the, and the Scots-Irish miners and that mythology, I was like, huh, wouldn't it be fascinating to do a cross-cultural study of specific you know, places on the earth that have had some mad cultural and even supernatural or paranormal experience and and see does that correlate cross-culturally so yeah. is a space that is considered cursed consistently bad juju or and is a place place that's considered sacred consistently revered as sacred now on some levels we know that happens with the building of cathedrals and things on old chapels and then old pagan sites and all this kind of stuff but on the other hand like were the were the tommy knockers in the mines did, did the did the indigenous native americans have something else with it similarly spooky was it completely oblivious generic landscape or was it considered the opposite so like how we relate to um you know to use a wildly problematic term but basically earth energies <laughs> you know the different <laughs> expressions right. of the landscape um and how do we unpack them and debrief them is, is a super curious yeah area and the red giants i think would probably fit in that yeah is that a legit i'd love to see i mean if that's check true, it out there was apparently a cape i think it was reno we'll, we'll put it on like another one of the long list of, of stuff to continue researching after this yeah um but there was a i think some caves out there where they found just check it out. Lots and lots of these skeletons of these really large people. And wow. there's and there's all these yeah, these these tales throughout history of people talking about these large cannibals with this, you know, red hair and all that. Well that, that makes me think of the you know, the, the old testament giants, right? The Nephilim. Right. Bingo. Yeah, that's how they kinda of correlate it. And so in like the documentaries. And I and I wonder if these days, like there is so much yearning for self optimization. What are the upper limits of human potential and capacity? And certainly lots of people dabbling in, you know, whether it's psychedelic mystical states, meditative contemplative states, et cetera, like we're, we're kind of knocking on that door. Like, what does it mean to be a fully expressed, very powerful human? Yeah. You know, and, and on the one hand, it's, uh, it's intriguing and fascinating. On the other hand, wildly problematic. You know, like that inquiry also gets you to the Third Reich. You know, and Ubermatch, right? The whole Nietzschean concepts, right? right. I mean, those fuckers were on point. Except for the last ten percent. Can you get into the Uber Uber Mensch well, Uber? Yeah, Mantra, yeah I, I just think the idea of the Superman yeah. and and the idea of the perfectibility of our greatness and our possibility. And if you yeah. hold out the myths, whether it's the Nephilim back in the Old Testament of angels that came down and mated with human women and created a you know an, an elect, effectively sub race of Ubermunch, right, of super strong, powerful, woke folk, <laughs> right? And then you have Nisha bring that back up again, they have this capacity, what's our fullest expression? You have, you know, mutations of it into tragic form. It often goes into fascism. 
right? And and sort of becomes like here is this cult, like uh, Lenny Reifenstahl, right? Right, the idea of the cult of the beautiful, perfect, masculine or feminine or whatever it would be, yeah. and, it, and it has had tragic consequences. But the whole personal, I mean, Tony Robbins is an example, right? I mean, he's a, he is in some strange ways and not always explicitly embodying the Ubermensch ideal. Awaken the giant within, right? And and we're we're toying with this. And then who's that guy? Oh God, what is it called? I'll come back to it. There's there's an alt right guy who has a crazy ass Twitter handle, um, Bronze Age Pervert. Have you heard of this dude? Uh, no. Fuck, it's <laughs> unreal. If you just check out, check out Bronze Age Pervert and his Instagram or whatever his feed. He's very visual, yeah. and he alternately posts strange kind of like Pepe Le Frog kind of alt-right trolley stuff but it's all around the perfectibility and the greatness of man and it's weirdly homoerotic because he calls himself a new bodybuilder a nudist bodybuilder so he only shows pictures of himself from the back and he's completely yoked you know like full kind of bodybuilder developed guy and then yeah. he posts images of other dudes in these sort of perfected embodied states and it's a bizarre mashup of memes and cultural concepts so like it feels like we are all yearning towards that right now. Yeah. We're all exploring it in different, often confused and conflicting ways, but it sure feels like we're on the doorstep of some, some kind of level up mutation or bastardization, and I can't tell which. Yeah. The, uh, I was listening to you on another podcast, and one of the things you were mentioning was the necessity for us to have access to being able to change our mm. psychic channel, mm -hmm. you know, and so we're all stuck in this day to day, you know, get her done, pay the bills, you know, go to work mm -hmm. channel, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like pretty stress based, a lot of it, yeah. you know, and so having that access, you know, so you see all throughout nature, including, including human nature, this urge to explore psychoactive kind of like altered states. Mm -hmm. And it really does feel as though like you have access to changing that channel for a short time to almost decompress the other channel and mm -hmm. kind of rework the other channel. Yeah. Is that something that, where, where's that idea come from for you? I mean, I think, I mean, I really, I think everything I've ever thought about and written has just been an elaborate either explanation or, or justification of the shit I wanted to do anyway. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. but, but on the other hand, having done things and had an experiential hit of like, wow, this is valuable, life affirming, healing, inspiring, whatever it would be. Why? And so my sense was, like, like anthropologists call them monophasic or polyphasic cultures, like one channel or many channel cultures, yeah. and cultures that more freely shift between states of consciousness and recognize multiple ones as valid um, can display greater mental health resilience and versatility. So yeah. rather than like currently we're going from a monophasic, probably the most dominant monophasic culture in history. So <laughs> French enlightenment on, we just crushed everything else that wasn't empirical, rational, waking state awareness. Wow. Other than like Freud attempting to say dreams mattered, but that became really confused quickly. Um, we are just waking state, rational, prefrontal cortical creatures yeah. with vigilant stress response and beta wave brain activity, et cetera. So this current rise in state seeking and whether it's, you know, the, the passion and enthusiasm for Wim Hof and ice baths and hyperventilating or whether it's psychedelic renaissance or Vipassana retreats, whatever it is, people are just 
just starving. It almost feels like a missing nutrient, the way people seek it out. It's yeah. just shift my state. I want to feel something more or different. And I think that that's a necessary but insufficient step because what we really want, and, and what we really want is versatility and range. As you know this from you know, all your training, you know, yeah. it's not a single position that's balanced. It's the ability to move between them based on context, conditions, and goals. And so the ability for us to shift states and defrag our nervous systems with just cold reboots. It's like if you leave your, I mean, I do this all the time. I leave my laptop on for a week at a time with like 20 windows open. And the next thing I know, like I can't play streaming music anymore and my camera doesn't work, yeah. you know? And I, so I have to do the cold reboot. And I feel like most folks attempt to reset their nervous systems, you know, with the tools they have. And what are the tools we have? We have binge watching fucking TV, <laughs> ambient and Xanax, yeah. alcohol, mm, jerking off to porn. Yeah. That's kind of it. I mean, as far as like mainstream, like bell curve shit, that is what m those are the blunt instruments most people are trying to do this with. And this just happens to be a lot more effective, enjoyable, sustainable ways to do it. And if we take that as a project, like it is good for me to change the channel of my consciousness periodically, repeatedly, not in service of any one off whiz bang epiphany, but in service of just overall systemic health, range of motion, like that whole thing of like motion is lotion right? yeah, <laughs> is true for our neurophysiology and cognition as well as for our, our kinetics. Yeah. I used to ride motorcycles growing up. I mean, nice. I guess you always, always uh -huh. ride motorcycles, yeah. but I had a, a dirt bike, specifically a YZ 85. Mm. And, uh, that was like the first, first bike I had my, my, that own. was it an 85 or an 80? Cause I was, it was a YZ 85 because yeah, that was like the new one. That was, okay. it was super exciting. It was like sexiest bike ever. I was like, you know, 13 years old or something like that. Super excited about it. Yeah, yeah. But around my house, I had like a pretty small yard in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. And all I could do, like the most I could do was second gear until I like take it to a track or take it someplace else. But if you do that, if you only ride the bike in first or second gear or just one gear, you end up burning that gear out. Yeah, yeah. It's really problematic for the engine as a mm -hmm. whole. You know, so it's a similar, as you're talking about that, I'm like, oh yeah, it's like the gear, the bike, mm -hmm. you know, same thing with monocropping, you know, in Monoc the soil, yeah. you start, you, you start to end up uh, destroying that soil because it's just sucking up those one specific nutrients, yeah. you know, so is, how do people start kind of polycropping themselves or polyphasicking themselves? Well, I mean, it's like the safe route. Yeah, it does. And even Michael Pollan, when he did that Botany of Desire yeah. book, and he did, and there was a Netflix documentary on it too, but he was talking about the Irish potato family. He was saying like the Incans had, you know, 40 different varieties of potato, and it was literally gene selected to the point of what elevation were they growing it on and even what solar aspect. So, like a south facing terraced field at 9,000 feet, they used a totally different version of the potato than a north facing one at 7,000 feet. So just super fascinating. And then what happened was the King Edward, there was some potato that got selected in Ireland exclusively. And so the whole 1840s Irish potato famine, which really created the entire Irish American experience where, you know, tens of thousands of Irish died was because they had a change, they had a crop blight and they had one version. <laughs> one version of their core nutri nutrient and they got they were fucked yeah and so for us the idea of like hey what if we create multiple multiple states and zones of being that are best adapted that's going to make us more resilient and anti-fragile so ways to do it i mean i think simplest is you know the stuff we've been talking about you know breathing movement sexuality are very straightforward ways yeah. to calibrate to basically broaden it's almost like that Overton window idea like the range of permissible social debate you know <laughs> right. and you want to sort of stretch the Overton window of our own being 
so that we just have more room to roam and we don't find ourselves, you know, taking knives to gunfights. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and why I think that respiration movement and sexuality, I mean, there's a thousand and one additional and other things to do, but what is interesting about those is they're A, a portable, everybody's got them already, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so they are free, distributed, impossible to suppress, you have instant access, and the thing that I find so fascinating is they are as close to the evolutionary impulse as possible. And when they're close to the evolutionary impulse, like you think about sexuality, like Blue Lagoon, like that old movie with, like, with Brooke Shields, where she was this, you know, a little girl, like they were shipwrecked. She was shipwrecked with this boy. And then, you know, they kind of innocence in Eden. And then they come of age and they figure out a way to get busy. And then she gets pregnant. And they don't know what happened. Right. And that's like the classic story of like life finds a way. Right. right? We are so hardwired to procreate. But literally, if, we, if, if that didn't work, we wouldn't be here. So you're like, that's a shit pile of neurochemical incentives. If we can backdoor that and learn to hack that stuff, we have very potent tools at our disposal. The same with respiration. So like respiration, CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, um, our body is constantly calibrating on what levels do we have in our body? How do I get more? What do we do with less? All those kinds of things. And the more we can, the closer to those evolutionary drives, we can biohack. Right. Generally speaking, the stronger and more beneficial the results can be. Yeah. So that's where I would, you know, strongly advise, you know, folks looking into. You're familiar with the stoned ape theory? Yeah. I like the idea that we're still evolving, you know, oh, which is not an idea. It's a reality. Unless, you know, I guess there's different. Maybe it is an idea. Uh, but it feels to me like if there is anything to the stoned ape theory, maybe there's, you know, we're still living the stoned ape theory right now, you know? And so there's all this potential for evolution called spiritual evolution or, you know, whatever direction is a psychic, mental, emotional, and we have all these tools and our access, but somehow why the hell are they taboo? They're so goddamn powerful, right? So any society that is, they've pretty much all been hierarchical. Yeah. Right? So um, you figure it makes total sense that sexuality has so many taboos around it, for instance. Totally. Because it is the prime directive. And if you don't control it, it is going to be basically countervalent. It's going to be pulling in opposite directions as a hierarchical social order. So job number one of a society is to control reproduction and fornication. <laughs> because otherwise no one's going to do anything else um, or they're going to do it badly or wrongly from the point of view of the value set of the, of the ruling system. So, so that, that it is true. It's not, we shouldn't back away from that stuff yeah. because there's taboos. We should understand the taboos are precisely why we should be steering into it. Not, not as some sort of perverse, you know, fuck the man rebelliousness, but to say, oh no, taboos exist around these things because they've been firewalled precisely because they are so potent and efficacious. So we should learn and understand, like if you take a totally depersonal take on sexuality, for instance, this is just an easy example, but if you take a totally depersonal take, you're like, okay, we are prefrontal cortexes connected to spinal columns, connected to erogenous zones. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so you, I, you end up with either the sexiest biohacking you've ever thought of or the nerdiest kinky sex you can conceive of. But right. basically, if you're like, hey, decouple the social taboos and the moral, you know, religi religio-moral stuff, take away the interpersonal relational stuff, take even away erotic fascinations and obsessions. 
and just say, hey man, this is our, this is our nervous system. Yeah. And this is a super strong and powerful way. And when you combine it with respiratory techniques and protocol, and when you combine it with truly integrated kind of embodied cognition or neurokinesthetic programming, meaning how I move and my range of motion directly informs my thoughts and feelings, and we can work backwards and forwards. And then you take the orgiastic or orgasmic impulse and you basically just load and stack the system and then just send those pulses through hmm. the system consciously, you can create profound um, profound effects that are super useful and again anti-fragile and scalable meaning that you know the psychedelic renaissance is you know so is bullish on all the studies at Johns Hopkins and NYU and Imperial College and all the places that are doing profound and useful work but the reality is ours look man maps took 30 years to get MDMA to phase three trials and with the stroke with, with the stroke of a single pen that could all be rendered moot again. Yeah. You know, look what Nixon did. Nixon set back uh, research in the serotonin system, you know, for 40 goddamn years. Yeah. So we lost access to really useful research on psilocybin and LSD, and we got Prozac Nation instead. And so those techniques, as potent as they are, um, A, don't have any cultural guardrails. Right now, there's an awful lot of overuse. It's sort of like antibiotics getting overprescribed and creating superfluids. Yeah. We're getting psychedelics overprescribed and creating superegos. You know, because the realities are is that 98%, 99% of psychedelic use is not in those studies. It's recreational, elective, you know, personally guided, and people are just making shit up as they go along. Yeah. And so there's, I think, a predictable backlash coming in the next five years um, mm -hmm. where people will go, oh, we've massively overshot the mark. Um, there's been a huge amount of hype. There's all kinds of unforeseen problems. Yeah. And we've actually created more troubles than we've solved netting it out. Yeah. So how do we do that next? And that's where I would just say, hey, things in our own body, things that rely on our own volition and choice and practice and connection with each other to make sure that we're, in fact, traveling this path in integrity, uh, that we're unpacking and integrating the insights, uh, that, to me, feels potentially encouraging. And yeah. potentially a place to check out. It feels like psychedelics and psych, you know, psychoactive or entheogens or whatever you want to call it, they're tremendously powerful kind of like, I don't want to say toppings because they're also more than toppings, but there's so much of a foundation that I think it's, is valuable to have in your life, mm -hmm. you know, of meditation or like, just like, like doing the work in quotations, yeah. you know, spending time in a, in a hot sauna or, you know, yes. spending time in yoga classes or spending, like just doing hard things. Then all of a sudden the value of those psychedelics end up being, I think a lot greater, mm -hmm. you know, more often with a lot of people you see, it's just like, we put all of our emphasis into eating the pill and then just everything kind of puts itself together. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it works that way. No, it tends not to. It's sort of, yeah. I, I was thinking sort of like like yoga is to hot tubs as meditation is to LSD. You know? right. they, they both bark up similar trees, but they're definitely there, and they definitely help you get further faster. But they don't necessarily replace the core practice. Yeah. You know. Do you have any kind of recommended introduction to kind of tap it into your body in a deeper way for people? Gosh, I mean, I would say you know the old kind of guideline around college is take the teacher, not the class, mm. you know? So if you find really good, high integrity, engaging, embodied humans who are skillful teachers, yeah. train in their modality, they're going right. to have something cool to share. 
um, and, mm. and there's such wild quality control in any given system, whether it's yoga or keto or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whatever it would be, um, that, yeah, I would say go with the teacher in the community first, and you're going to learn something awesome um, in many of those practices. But I would say certainly anything that focus on full range of motion, so clearly functional movement uh, yeah. and, and crossing the midline and hands as feet and feet as hands and up is down and down is up right. and polyaxial rotation, rolling movement, inversions, all, any and all of those things are just cool because A, our, you know, we're only as young as our spines and our bodies, you know, as we blow out some of those uh, clogged up overgrown neurological pathways, um, our whole nervous system and our cognition um, get better. It's like sort of like rebooting from dial-up to broadband, and, and that's also where... So yeah, I mean, I would say simply anything from Pilates and yogas, which are ubiquitous and available, to something like an Aikido or a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. to an interesting dance method or practice, salsa and tangos. Like, again, do what's around you, do what fits your worldview and your comfort zones, but do something yeah. and potentially even do several things. Yeah. Have you seen the usage of psychoactive substances of any sort or, and, and would there be any particular ones that you would recommend to explore for people, but connecting to you getting deeper into your body, having a deeper relationship with your body? Yeah. I mean, the simplest, we're actually in a conversation with a, uh, a group of physicians in Vancouver where we're exploring putting together a trauma and healing clinic, which will include the use of all physician prescribed and monitored, um, Contrast therapy, so you know, hot, cold saunas and, and cryo or ice baths, um, sensory deprivation, um, and then oxygen and nitrous oxide therapy, cannabis and ketamine, wow. because all of those are approved, and all of those are approved for um, basically off-label uh, usages and combinations. And those three, um, the the ketamine, nitrous ox oxygen, and uh, cannabis um, all directly inter interact with different parts of our nervous systems and physiology. And so you can create highly effective st embodied state experiences that allow, again, you know, tr healing of both psycho-emotional trauma and physiological trauma, like I have an old injury or I have, you know, a bad life event, um, as well as some inspiration, like I can have access to, an, you know, information richness that I don't normally access yeah. and that gives me insights on myself, my life, the world, my work, whatever it would be. Um, and then potentially additional connection, you know, whether that's pair bond, whether that's with a therapist or physician or whether that's with partners or, you know, fellow training practice, you know, practitioners. Um, those are, those are the simplest. I mean, the thing that I've just been studying lately is the endocannabinoid system inside the brain. And just the original Israeli research on that and how powerful a signaling system it is in our body. And so all of the hype we see in the medical marijuana space, for instance, where they're like, cannabis cures this and it's good for glaucoma and seizures and bone healing and heart health and, 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 and you're like, oh, wait a second, this is, you know, clearly we're going to have the end of a hype cycle here. And we're going to realize, no, all the research doesn't say it's good for the cleaning the kitchen sink and, and pearly whites and everything else. But... In some respects, it's actually 
potentially more true than we'd think. And it's, it's not because cannabis is the miracle plant. It's because the endocannabinoid system is so central. And, and some mm. researchers call it even the second immune system. So mm. it's the only neurotransmitter system in our body that signals both ways. It signals from the brain to the organs, but it also, but it also from the organs back to the brain. So if, if any of our system is in balance, the endocannabinoid system is what carries the distress signals back up to our CPU and then does things like drop inflammation, regulate heart rate and blood pressure, do all the things that it does. So it's absolutely, to me, that is one, and 95% of American physicians surveyed don't even know it. It's been you know, cloistered research for a quarter century. Yeah. And, and to me, that's a, that's a super interesting area, as is anything that does with vagal nerve and anything that does with um, anything that interacts with delta wave brain activity. So those are my, I mean, I'm curious to hear what your take is on that because you, you track this stuff well as well, but like fascia, waking delta, vagus nerve, and endocannabinoid systems are my areas of super curiosity right now because everything I know about the vagus nerve seems like it's remarkably similar to what's happening with the endocannabinoid system. Hmm. And delta, waking delta is down at the base level of the brainstem, so it's non-prefrontal cortical. And yet, when you're in delta wave activity but not asleep, which is normally when we experience it, um, it tends to be a profoundly non-ordinary state with heightened information access. And, and interestingly, like MIT researchers have just found that anesthesiologists study that under 70% nitrous oxide, 30% oxygen, so you're getting one and a half times the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere, so you're getting positive O2 therapy at the same time that you've swapped the nitrogen in the atmosphere for nitrous oxide, which is a metabolite, and nitrous oxide then breaks down in our brain to nitric oxide, which is the neurotransmitter and vasodilator, you're like, oh shit, that is, and it, and it creates double amplitude delta waves in our brains compared to when we're asleep and in dreaming delta. Oh. So you're like, that's fascinating. <laughs> and it seems like, is, and, and my question, my sort of grand unified theory of like body homeostasis and well-being right now yeah. is what's the intersection between waking delta, vagal nerve tone, and the endocannabinoid system? And I have a strong suspicion that there is overlap and interplay. I want to take a quick moment and thank Onnit for supporting this podcast. Onnit is hands down one of my favorite companies around. I consider the folks over there to be family and uh, really great stuff. They use Whole Foods in their products and they really give a dang about what they're putting in there. Uh, holding my hands, the Shroom Tech, built for energy and endurance. It's just a bunch of real food in here. It's a bunch of mushrooms and green tea. It's got ashwagandha and cordyceps and some chromium B12 and astralagus. Astralagus? That's not how you say that. That's the <laughs> Astragalus, that's how you say that. So I can't recommend those guys enough. Uh, also, if you have interest in like maces and kettlebells, they got rad stuff. Everything is absolute top quality. You can get yourself 10% of any of your purchases using the Align code. So go to onit.com slash align, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash align and you will receive 10% off of any purchase. If you're anything but 100% satisfied with your purchase, they will give you full money back guarantee. You don't even need to send the Shroom Tech back in or whatever supplement it is. So hope you guys love that. Onnit.com slash line, 10% off. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, have you looked much into the way that sound affects the, the vagal 
tone, like singing and and you know dancing, hearing sound uh, in general, but especially singing. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, clue me in on what the coolest things you've had. Um, I'm, again, this is stuff that I'm in the process of getting really enamored mm-hmm. with. So I'm going to get yeah. more into it, um, but. A lot of us, we end up having essentially like like flaccid vagal tone, and you can you can literally tune kind of like harmonizing with another instrument, and so it's a similar thing. You can actually tune in with your own nervous system, tune in with various organs, tune in with your vagus nerve, tune in with all these different parts of your body through just kind of potentially haphazardly singing a song. Mm-hmm. You know, so something like kirtan, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh, it's like a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we do all these things, and it's like oh. Interesting. Why has this been such a, a deeply ingrained part of this religion or dogma for thousands of years? Yeah. You know, a lot of the, the dogmas like in like Muslim traditions, like, oh, they're getting all the way down. They're going through a full squat, putting their forehead down to the ground, hands on the ground. They're going through the same patterning that you were talking about earlier, you know, getting, you know, hands and toes five times a day, <laughs> you know, and they're clearing their head. It's like... A lot of these dogmas that you know you may or may not think are, are yeah, yeah. good or bad or whatever, a lot of them are based on your biological health. You know. So. Yes, and in fact, what was it? Um, I just read this crazy ass thing, but basically, the saying of the Hail Mary, like the saying of the Rosary, hmm. tends to take about ten seconds, which puts you into 0.1 hertz delta wave activity. Hmm. So literally, it's a controlling of your respiratory protocol. Yeah via um, effectively a mantra yeah repetitive mantra and so like there is so much cool neurophysiological reasoning behind most cultural traditions yeah and when people reject when i was just hanging out with some folks a couple and both have been raised in very strict evangelical christian backgrounds they they've come more into transformational community exploration with entheogens personality, practice yoga, sexuality, whatever, and they've experienced the, you know, scorn and, and concern of their families, and they feel deeply conflicted about, like, this, this, there's this entire chapter of my life where I was raised in this belief system that I now reject because I feel like I need to move beyond it, yeah. and yet they're sort of orphans from their own faith practice, and it feels like understanding the mechanisms of action, like what was the good and what was the functional, right. um, lets people <clears throat> separate out kind of wheat from chaff, and then hopefully be able to embrace a lot of the stuff that's in their lineages, that's in their family traditions, etc., with fresh eyes and with sovereignty. Like this wasn't crammed down my throat, and right. I don't just have to—I don't just have to believe these stories because I was told to. I can actually come back and inhabit these traditions from the inside out. Yeah. And with an initiate's perspective versus just a congregant's perspective. Another really interesting thing because we were just playing the didgeridoo, which yes. is a company called Pi, I think, P-A-I, is what I saw on the side of the box. I'm going to get one immediately. I don't have any affiliation or <laughs> anything about it, but it was amazing. Um, another one of these like haphazard biological you know, biohacks is by breathing out, you'll see certain breath exercises that will emphasis the breath out because uh-huh. it's supposed to upregulate your parasympathetic, like yeah. rest, digest, relax part of your nervous system. Yeah. Well, what the hell are you doing when you're playing any wind instrument? Yeah, exactly. You know, so you're exactly. circularly breathing. It's this little, you know, this tiniest little breath in, which is, you know, more sympathetic, uh-huh. right? It's tied into that system, but that long, and vibration, the sinuses, all you know, so all this stuff, it's like secret new age hippie information, you know, that it's like, oh, you play the didgeridoo, you must wear patch pants. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, meanwhile, the person that's saying that is hooked on some type of pharmaceutical drug to downregulate. For sure. And, and, and it <laughs> feels know? like, and I, not necessarily, but often. Yeah. But I mean, if we know? can kind of get to um, the Lego blocks, 
of human transformation. And you can pull them out of the existing traditions and get rid of their tribal affiliations. Yeah. Because when people see, I mean, the same with rhythm. I mean, Afro-Cuban rhythms are wildly po polyrhythmic, super trippy, and occupy your waking state consciousness. So when voodoo dancers would go into trance, you know, and you have the men jamming on the drums and yeah. the women responding, and there's this beautiful intersubjective thing going on. And what are the women doing? They're moving their, you know, sacral, sacro-cervical pumps on their spine. So yeah. they're, they're throwing their heads back and forth. They're rocking their hips. Literally they're pumping. throwing their arms. And, and the rhythms are contrapuntal. So there is no singular place to hang out for waking state consciousness and self-aware awareness. So you get knocked out of daily cognition, and, and they're literally driving themselves into badass state experiences. Hmm. And for most people, like, oh, that's spooky or scary or demonic or whatever it would be, you know, from kind of like totally. a straight world. Yeah. But you're like, no, no, those techniques of ecstasy are completely legit. And, you know, I mean, Grateful Dead, you know, like that community was probably one of the most... They were one of the, the originators of contemporary forms of that because they would combine large numbers of people, interesting lights and sound, very exploratory, complex, un, you know, unshackled music, and psychedelics. And so basically you had two drummers, you had a six-string bass, you had two guitars, you had all sorts of, I mean, more than enough to keep your mind occupied. And then the sounds were this wild-ass combination of you know, variations within familiar American forms, blues, gospel, soul, etc. So we knew where the one was, we knew what the chord resolve should be eventually, yeah. but then inside that they did far out shit. And you had Jerry Garcia playing clarinet, you know, in horn sections on his guitar. You had people, you had them exploring, you know, Mickey Hart doing like 11, 12 polyrhythms against a 3-4 beat, you know, like crazy shit. And they basically became extended carrier waves that you could export your mind onto the song. Right, the music and the lyrics, dance, interact with these songs as basically, you know, basically they were, they became, they went from sort of hymns almost to spells. They became invocations. Yeah. And so when, you know, when people outside that community never understood, right, back to patch pants, oh, you're didgeridoos and patch pants, right? Oh, you fucking stupid, <laughs> right. stupid hippie, you burn out deadhead. But you're like, well, why right. did so many people quit, you know, quit, like leave their, leave their hometown to go join that circus? Yeah. And Joseph Campbell, he called them, he said, they are, they are the closest thing to a modern day right of elusives that we have today. Yeah. And, and of course, wildly problematic and all kinds of shit shows around the edges, but the actual core technology is exactly what we've been discussing. Yeah. It's movement, breath, music, sound, like, you know, functional, highly embodied sacraments. Yeah. That was something, Ben, we got to wrap up, but something Ben Franklin pointed out amongst other people that uh, the colonials would, would leave to go with the American Indians. Uh -huh. I think they're called colonials, the folks uh -huh. back in, yeah. in that time. They would leave regularly to go be with the American <laughs> Indians, but almost never, I think never, but uh -huh. you know, almost never may be exceptions, would the American Indians come and join the colonials. Uh -huh. You know, so there's like this wild, this, when you start to speak in that, like that, that nature connection, it's like connecting back onto the teeth is kind of what I say, like getting into nature. Uh -huh. When you have that sensation, it's like, oh, yeah. you get it, you know, but there's so much resistance and protection around leaving the cult or leaving, uh -huh. you know, your colonial tribe. Yeah. There's protection around that place. Very interesting. Yeah. And, that, and that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole tradition of the, the, uh, the hostage, the, cap the Indian captivity narrative, yeah. because and especially if women were capped, cap you know, uh, captured, there was the whole thing of protecting white womanhood and that whole yeah. thing. But then the, the fascinating thing was, I mean, in Rousseau, they, you know, the, the French Enlightenment guys projected onto the noble savage and all that kind of stuff. But one of the more, most 
interesting stories of that was in Texas, and a woman was captured by the Comanche and was then rescued, quote unquote, she right. 20 years later, and then ran away back to them. But yeah. she was also the mother of Quana Parker, so she married their ch badass chief. Quana Parker became a you know a biracial warrior for the Comanche that wrought havoc on the Texas Rangers and that whole crew. But then, second chapter of his life, he became the chief proselytizer of the Native American church and the peyote cult. So he, he's the one who famously went to Congress and they're like, what the hell is this Native American church and you guys fomenting an uprising with these peyote ceremonies and this and that. And he's like, when the white man goes to church, you talk about God. And when we yeah. go to the peyote teepee, we talk to God. That's good. And that was that. That's a good way to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, we got to do a longer version of this at some point, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what now we can do uh, Facebook lives and share screens. We can do Zoom. Cool. We can do other things that would be, yeah. you know, close to proximal. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. What time is it? It's right on time. It's right on. Eleven twenty-nine. His mind says that means it's actually one twenty-nine or something. Okay. All right. Over and out. Let's try it quick. Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There's some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at AlignTherapy.com and also on Amazon.com. Um, thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap. Through that link, we get a percentage of it. costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.